Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey, 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 guys. Welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with your third favourite Englishman, Mark Asquith. That is I. Now, we are going to talk today about the business of podcasting. Podcasting is really becoming prominent in small business. So many people I know now, or even in the north of England, are saying to me, what's the deal? What's the deal with podcasting? Can we actually integrate this into our business? And the answer, more often than not, is yes. But very often, what we're talking about is actually putting a podcast out there for your business. What happens if we turn that around? What happens if you become a podcast producer and start selling the expertise that you've built through doing your own show to your clients? And that is exactly the issue that we're going to define, challenge and conquer on today's episode. And with me is someone who has made a fantastic career out of doing this, the co-author of The Business of Podcasting, how to take your podcasting passion from personal to the professional. So welcome to the show, Mr. Steve Lebetkin. How are you, sir? I'm very well, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Now, this is very, very interesting. We were talking in the pre-interview chatter about how so many people don't realize that it's a possibility to actually become a podcast producer for people. So I'm looking forward to digging into this. But just before we do, tell us a little bit about the book, Stephen, especially a little bit around what you do for people and how you help people with this. Sure, thanks. Um, what I like to say is that I became a podcaster as a teenager, and I'm actually way past my teens. Um, I was one of those kids who was struck by the radio bug in my teens. I wanted to be on the radio in the worst way. Uh, and eventually did that in college and later on a commercial radio station, a couple of commercial radio stations. But uh, I started out in my basement with a tape recorder and a uh, record turntable and a microphone making pretend radio shows. And this was back in the days when you didn't have the ability to distribute them worldwide on the internet. You had to play them back for whoever was in the room with you. And so my best friend got the benefit of uh, hearing my pretend radio shows. Uh, flash forward another almost 40 years and as I was exiting the corporate world about 11 years ago and looking for what the next chapter was going to be, my wife happened to overhear a, a radio program about podcasting right at the time when social media, which we back then called new media, was coming up on the uh, horizon. Uh, and, and she said, you got to listen to this. You know, it's about podcasting, which is sort of like radio, which you love. And I listened to it and said, whoa, this is really something that could be a useful communications channel for corporations and other organizations to demonstrate their knowledge and expertise, but it has to really sound good. I started listening to podcasts that people were producing, and what I heard was a lot of things that reminded me of the sort of amateur errors that we made when we were in college radio, you know, things like uh, the inside baseball, talking about the equipment in the studio, making references to things that people in the audience couldn't really see or understand uh, that were irrelevant to the conversation. And so what I set out to do was to basically relearn all of the production and skills that I had learned in the analog radio world back in the 1970s when we recorded on magnetic recording tape and edited with a razor blade and a grease pencil. Um, I had to learn that all over again in, in the digital world. 
And I was very happy to do so because it's a heck of a lot easier than it was back then. Um, and I set myself out as a podcasting consultant. I had plenty of opportunity to speak on the radio and be on the radio and, you know, have my own shows. Um, I, I enjoy that. I love doing these interviews, but I was more interested in how I could monetize the skills. And that's when I set out to sell the service of podcast production to corporate clients and other organizations. Wow, that is a very storied history there. So that is, it's a very interesting journey into podcasting. And so you were there kind of, you know, right in the early days when podcasting was having its growth spurt and you've seen this sort of renaissance that people are going on about these days. And, you know, is it true what people are saying, you know, that podcasting is really becoming much more mainstream? Have you seen that? And do you agree with that kind of sentiment? I do. I think a couple of things have come together to make that a reality. One of them is the widespread awareness of podcasting that's come from very popular programs like in the in the US, the uh, national public radio production called Serial, which was a podcast series about a long ago murder and the conviction of uh, the boyfriend of the murdered girl for the crime. Um, that one just skyrocketed into people's awareness and made people think more about podcasting as a way to deliver both entertainment and information content to them, and also the the almost ubiquitous presence of smartphones and much easier software solutions for downloading podcasts and accessing them. And that's really what makes it possible for people to think about podcasting in a different way. Yeah, I completely agree with the smartphones. And Serial was just mind-blowing. I, I had the fortune to... Uh, to meet Sarah Koenig at uh, Podcast Movement. She did the closing keynote there. And the numbers she was throwing out about Serial was crazy. You know, there were 90 million downloads and you just think, wow, you know, what? For a podcast, this is unbelievable. And I think it it is beginning to open people's eyes to, to this medium. And let's just talk about the future because I think, you know, when you consider podcasting for corporate, for small business, you know, so many people still need convincing. And, what has got you excited about podcasting moving forward? What is the next smartphone, if you like? What's the next thing that people can look forward to in, in podcasting? Well, I'm not sure I know what the, the next smartphone or the next new what is in podcasting, but I think it's important for business people to understand that they can't depend on the old ways of getting in people's awareness. The Back in the uh, pre-internet era, a company became visible in the United States by uh, putting an ad in what we call the Yellow Pages, uh, which is the business telephone directory. And you listed your company, they're listed in alphabetical order. So if you named your company AAAA Pest Control, uh, you might be at the top of the list and people going through the book looking for someone to get rid of the uh, rodent infestation would would find you because you were at the top of the list. Google doesn't work in the same way. Google doesn't work in alphabetical order. It works based on your ranking in the search results. And one of the best ways to achieve higher rankings in the search results is to produce on a regular basis audio and video and other multimedia or rich media content that people can um, identify in a Google search. And typically, People are searching on Google, not for the name of your company. They're searching for a solution to a particular problem they have, whether it's a problem as a consumer or a problem that they're facing as a business person that they need to solve for their company. And so 
for people with the solutions, you need to appear in that Google search. And one of the best ways to do it is to produce audio and video. And I can tell you a, a story from um, my past experience. When, when I first got into this and started doing uh, audio and video, I was still doing some traditional public relations work for a couple of clients, one of whom was a very large um, retailer here in the U.S. and around the world, Walmart. Um, I was doing some local media relations work for them. And uh, in the course of doing that work, started bringing my video gear to the events that we were promoting for Walmart, which were typically store openings or community events. And I would capture the event on video. I'd interview the participants like the store manager or the mayor. Uh, we take uh, B-roll, we call it, pictures of the uh, local high school marching band or the high school cheerleaders at the event and package it all together as a video story. And when I first started doing this, I was putting them up on a blog I created for the purpose um, and tagging it with all of the contact information that people might need. And I was thinking at this point, like a public relations person, the contact information the news media people might need to contact me to get more information about the event. And what I found was happening was people, it wasn't the news media who were Googling the event. It was customers of Walmart looking for the phone number of the local store so they could ask a, ask a question about what time does the pharmacy close or something like that. And I realized immediately that the videos were popping up to the top of the Google search because there was nothing else like them out there. And so it, it's an extremely powerful tool that works very, very well if you do it on a regular, consistent, repeated basis and essentially cover your company as if it were, as if you were the news media covering the company and telling stories about what the company's doing. That's a very interesting notion, covering it as if you are the media. That, that's a very interesting angle. I like the sound of that one. And the one thing that I always talk to people about when, I mean, so many people ask, you know, why should I bother with podcasts? And is it not just a geek thing that you talk about your favorite TV shows? And you say, well, you know, okay, I can kind of see where that comes from. But actually, when you think about it, let's assume that things like Apple Car Kit are coming and, you know, this kind of medium is going to be available to people that are commuting or, you know, right now we're in the gym and so on and so forth. If you think about the explosion of things like Netflix, we live in this on-demand society and podcasting is no more than on-demand radio. And for me, the big difference that I feel has, has, has really come about over the last three or four years is that in 2005, 2006, people weren't trained, people weren't conditioned to want things as on demand as they want them now. If you think about how people consume content now, as you completely covered there, Steve, people want to Google things. People want to go to YouTube to look up portions of TV shows. They want to go to Netflix to watch what they want, when they want. And podcasting is that for audio. So I can see completely how it would fit into a marketing strategy for a corporate or a small business. And Steve, let's just talk about on that basis, what kind of people do you tend to work with? And actually, what kind of content do you create for them in the podcast space? Well, we're actually working with a lot of corporate clients. And what happens there is people want to promote their expertise in a particular field. And so the one example that I use in the book on a number of occasions is a global insurer, reinsurer that we work with. We've been working with them since about 2006. Uh, this is an insurance company that doesn't really sell insurance to consumers 
uh, like auto home life or health insurance. They, they are selling insurance to businesses for complicated business risks, things like uh, directors and officers liability insurance, things like environmental liability or cyber liability. And they're complicated products to explain to people. But more importantly, the client, the, the insurance company wants to demonstrate that it knows how to manage the overall risk profile. It's not just about how good the insurance policy is or how speedy their claim service is or how low their premiums are. What they're focused on is helping their clients almost as partners to identify here are the risks that you need to manage to reduce in this particular area of risk. Let's say cyber liability is a real good example. Um, here are the things you need to do like network security and firewalls and software, but it's also training your employees on proper uh, use of the technologies and following the rules. It's uh, making sure that everything is in order on the network and so forth. And oh, by the way, there's some insurance needs that cover the things that might come up if there is a data breach. And all of that information rolled into a podcast is extremely powerful because for this particular company, the people who, uh, who are involved in selling that product line, that cyber liability coverage, um, would previously have to get on the phone and explain the process repeatedly to people. And by producing podcasts that give people some good, actionable, detailed information about what they need to think about in the context of cyber liability, they actually were able to avoid having tens of thousands of conversations with people, which frees them up to do better work and, and to manage the process better for, for all their clients. So in, in this particular instance, I think they had about 13,000 downloads of the podcast about cyber liability risks. And if you multiply 13,000 by 30 minutes, you, you realize that you're talking about a significant chunk of time that was previously being spent on the phone in half hour or an hour conversations with people. And now what happens is they send them the link to the podcast and the person can listen to the podcast at their convenience and then come back with more intelligent questions, more aware, more educated questions, and be more predisposed to literally become a, a client or a partner and, and get the coverage that they need. That is such a profound example because I think we can all relate to that. I feel like any any one of us in business can find something that we could make into evergreen content and get it out there. I don't think any of us would disagree that we can do that. And Steve, let's just shift a gear a second. Let's just move the focus into perhaps people who are already podcasting and perhaps want to look at adding this as a service, as a string to their bow for their clients, actually producing podcasts for people. The first question is, why would they look at doing this? What are, what are some of the best reasons for looking at doing this from a business perspective for your own business? Well, I've, I think for, for people who are podcasting as a sort of a hobby, um, a lot of them are interested in the gear. It's the uh, 21st century equivalent of people who used to buy a lot of expensive stereo equipment or photography equipment or cars and things like that. And they always want the latest and greatest. So a great many podcasters have invested some money in 
sophisticated tools like high quality broadcast microphones like the one I'm speaking into or or mixers for audio or, uh, you know, sound recording devices. And so they may already have the gear, but they're really only using it once or twice a week when they record the podcasts that they produce for their friends to hear. And so it's a way to earn some money from using that equipment, from investing in that equipment and, and getting rewarded for doing so. Um, one of the problems that I've encountered over the past few years is that I've had a couple of occasions where I was asked to record an event like a, a business conference. And then someone else called and said, can you record this business conference? And the two were at the same time. And I could have easily assigned a second podcaster to go out and record one of the two conferences. But I had a very difficult time finding someone who had sufficient gear to do it. So, um, you know, many podcasters, they all they have is a computer and a microphone plugged into the computer using a USB jack, which may or may not be adequate for a particular application. For remote recordings, it's probably not. You need a little bit more sophisticated audio gear to do something like that. So, you know, it, it, it's a bit of an investment, but for many podcasters who are really passionate about it, that's why we wrote the book is to to turn the model on its head because I'm afraid, Mark, many of the podcasters out there think that the way to success in podcasting is to be very, very clever as a podcast host so that people will want to buy advertising time on your podcast. And that doesn't really work for most podcasters. It's it's reserved for the mostly the high profile podcasters who are already being backed and supported by very large traditional media organizations. And you know who they are. They're the people with the very high profile podcasts. And even the serial podcast is really a national public radio radio show that was simply distributed using the podcast channels. They still recorded it and produced it in a multi-million dollar studio uh, using a team of reporters and editors and producers uh, and researchers. So, you know, it it is a labor intensive kind of a program that most podcasters are going to find very daunting to produce, but it's not that daunting to go out and record a business conference. And what I say to, uh, you know, corporate clients is you, you put on a business conference for your clients or for your employees and only the people who can go to the conference get to benefit from it. If you don't record it, if you record it, you can distribute it over your internet, uh, over the website, over your internal intranet, if you have one, uh, and people can get the benefit of the content without having been there. And so you, you spread the costs over uh, multiple channels and it reduces the cost of the overall conference. And it also gets your information into the right hands. So, you know, we thought, Donna and I, when we wrote the book, that there was an opportunity for people to make money, but it's not the way that they think. It's not about going viral. Um, most business podcasts do not go viral. Most do not get tens of thousands of downloads. They get several hundred downloads. But the fact is that for most businesses, you're not terribly interested in having it heard by 20 million people who have no interest. You're more interested in having it heard by two or 300 people if, you know, a large percentage of them are looking for the information that you're providing. That's a very interesting, again, another very interesting take. And I think very particularly about those people repurposing that content. It really is about content. We talked about Google earlier on and how much Google values quality, quality content. And when you pitch that against the problem that most companies have, which is how the heck do I create this content? You know, this this seems like a very solid way to create evergreen content from something that you're actually probably already doing. And if you're the podcaster, 
who was perhaps looking at beginning to offer this kind of service. Where would you recommend people start with that, Steve? Where would you recommend they actually um, focus their attention in the first instance? Because as you said, we are all focused on the mic and the mixer and so on and so forth. Um, working with nonprofit organizations is a good place to start. We've, we've done that and uh, some of them have produced some educational seminars that uh, we've turned into podcasts. Um, we've done some economic outlook podcasts with a local university that puts on a panel every quarter about what's going on in the economy locally. Um, and, and those are good ways to start. Um, the other thing that I would mention too is that uh, a lot of companies think they need to do webinars. And one way to talk to companies about webinars is to point out to them that you can go two ways with a webinar. Typically, people will either charge money for a webinar or they will give it away for free. My experience has been that if you charge money for a webinar, very few, if any, people sign up. People just are accustomed to not paying for webinars. So making money by charging for webinars is probably not going to work for most businesses. If you give it away for free, you are then devoting a lot of staff time to writing and preparing and mailing out or emailing out invitations to the webinar, collecting registrations to the webinar, sending out emails telling people how to connect to the webinar, and then holding the webinar on a particular date at a particular time. And, you know, this kind of appointment viewing um, is kind of out of fashion, particularly with millennials who are now moving into middle management in their early 30s. Um, the reality is that w when you give away a free webinar, lots of people sign up for them. And then the day of the webinar comes and it's two o'clock Thursday afternoon and the boss comes in at one thirty and says, I need you to finish this report. And since it was a free webinar, uh, the chances are they're going to blow it off. They're not going to attend. And so you go from a registration list of 120, which gets your team very excited down to a webinar that actually has, you know, six to 12 people attending. If you, instead of doing an appointment-style webinar, took the subject matter experts that were going to present and sit them in front of the microphone with a moderator and talk for half an hour and produce a really content-rich podcast, which you can then put up and it can be on demand, uh, you'll get a lot more listens, a lot more downloads from something like that. So that's, that's kind of the approach that we would take is, um, you know, to look for people who have content they want to deliver and present it to them as a way of delivering that content that can be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, again, that's that's a very interesting point that you make. And, and what I draw from that personally is that it's about choosing the medium because you're right, we've been pulled all over the place. Webinars is a big thing at the minute. Podcasting, of course, is a big thing. And when you add that to the mix of social media, all of these things that you need to do, they can seem overwhelming. They can really get on top of you, and it's about choosing the right platform. So I think that's really solid advice. And Steve, what I'd like to do now is just shift into the excellence expected actionable takeaways section. So in particular, for people who are thinking about adding podcasting as a service to offer their clients, let's dig into the first actionable tip that you have for those guys, please, sir. Sure. It's uh, actionable tip number one is know your equipment, your software, and your setup process, and always plan for unexpected occurrences. Um, one of the things that we counsel people about podcasting is not to depend on recording your podcast on a computer. We believe strongly in using equipment that is designed for single tasks. I don't use a digital SLR to record video. I use a video camera. I don't use my computer except when I'm in the studio where I can uh, 
you know, make adjustments if something fails. I don't take a computer into the field to record audio in the field. I use a digital audio recorder or multiple digital audio recorders. And the reason for that is simple, because if you take a laptop computer and you plug it into a mixer and you're feeding audio into it and recording, everything goes along fine until about halfway through the recording when the computer decides it's time to download and install some Windows updates uh, or something crashes or, you know, anything can go wrong. And it usually does when you're doing a, uh, a recording that can't be replaced. So we believe in having dedicated equipment and knowing how to operate it. That's kind of important. And every podcaster has had the experience of getting a new digital audio recorder and pushing the record button and not realizing that when you push it once it goes into standby mode, you have to push it a second time to get it to actually start recording. And, you know, there are many of us who, and I put myself in this group who have made that mistake and had to say, oh, gee, we have to start this interview again three minutes into it because I looked at the recorder and, you know, discovered that it was not recording. So you need to know the equipment and the software and you should always have a backup. When I go out on jobs, I always find one extra piece of gear or accessories that I wished I had with me and I just make a list. And the next time I'm at a local electronics store or on the, lo- on, on the internet uh, at a uh, broadcast supply store, I make sure I download that, that gear and have it in my kit before I go out on the next assignment. I'm looking lovingly at my Zoom H4n. That's caught me out with the flashing record button a time <laughs> or two. <laughs> That's the one that I use, and it's caught me too. Wow, yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one, Steve. <laughs> That's amazing. So let's dig into actionable tip number two, please. Sure. Leave your ego at the door and produce what clients want. The hardest thing for people starting out who are hobbyist podcasters by training is to realize that if you're going to do it for other people who are going to pay you, you kind of have to do what they want. And that's that's a shift in mindset. I was at a conference here in Philadelphia a few years ago with one of my clients, and we were talking about the art of podcasting for a corporation. And this was, in fact, the insurance company I mentioned earlier. And the insurance industry in the U.S. and in most of the world is a heavily regulated industry. And so Everything that is put out in terms of public communications gets reviewed by several layers of lawyers. And my client was mentioning to the group that the the way we streamlined the process of getting podcasts produced was to have the lawyers review the podcast script before we actually recorded. And some of the podcasters in the room actually were surprised and almost to the point of outraged that there was such a thing as a a, a podcast script, and B, that we allowed lawyers to look at it before we recorded it. And, you know, that's one of the things that you need to learn how to deal with, particularly if you're going to record podcasts for corporate clients. And that is, it's going to be reviewed by a lot of people and they're going to have opinions about how it should look and how it should feel. And you need to be able to let go of the fact, you know, that this is not just an art form. It is a communications channel and you're providing a communications service to people. That's a very good point about the script. The The idea of scripting, when when you attend something like NMX or if you attend something like Podcast Movement, there are two very distinct camps of people, those who think scripting is all right and those who don't. And it's a very interesting community split. And, and I, I think that's a very good point about that because owning a design agency, I've come to realize that 
you do have to produce what clients want because at the end of the day, that's what you're there to do. Yes, you can advise. Yes, you can give your expert opinion and so on. But at the end of the day, they get what they want. And I've never heard that quite applied to podcasting in that way. So I think that's a really, really good tip. And the third and final actionable tip, please, Steve. Demonstrate professionalism in how you approach client content. And again, this is this goes back to what I said at the beginning, you know, the idea that a podcast and there are many people who still believe that a podcast should be, you know, loose and free form and, as you said, unscripted. And, you know, I would argue that the, the podcasts that are truly successful in the mainstream world, like po- like the podcast Serial, are the ones that are, frankly, quite heavily scripted. I mean, if, if anyone who thinks that Serial and some of the other programs as popular as Serial are not scripted uh, just doesn't understand how radio is produced. And, and you know. It is helpful to have maybe not a verbatim script, but certainly bullet points about the things you want to talk about. And, you know, I had the actionable tips up on the screen here while we've been chatting, so I was able to refer to them. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with scripting. And there's certainly nothing wrong with editing after you've recorded the the program. Yeah, I completely agree with that one. And it's it's all about what you want to put out there as well. You know, you've got to put something quality out there. And I think as a host, I remember seeing Jordan Harbinger do a fantastic talk on how to be a better podcast host. And basically it just came down to prep and actually respecting the fact that your guest, you know, has given their time up. So you need to put the time into research and look into that. So I think that's a very interesting point as well. Steve, that has been such a good interview. I think we've covered obviously the actionable tips for people, but I think earlier in the episode, we covered a heck of a lot around the some more out of the box ideas for creating different types of content, which has certainly got my imagination running. So thank you so much for that. And just before we wrap it up, where's the best place? Well, two things actually. Where's the best place to grab the book, and where's the best place to connect with you online, please? Great. The book is. Um, we have a website for the book. It's the business, the business of podcasting dot com, and there's uh, lots of information there, including, of course, links to where you can buy the book on Amazon dot com, and um, you can reach me at Steve at dot com, and uh, I'm happy to chat with anybody. I'm also uh, podcast Steve on Twitter, and uh, my own website, of course, beingthemedia.com. dot com. Super stuff. Steve, thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate the opportunity. Always a pleasure. And guys, don't worry if you've missed anything. Just head over to excellence-expected.com and everything that myself and Steve have spoken about for the last 30 minutes will be up there in the show notes. And whilst you're over there, don't forget that, you know, I recognize that I'm trying to develop myself just as you are trying to develop yourself, which is why I create as much content as I can. I put content out there five days a week for you guys in small business. So have a dig around the site. And if you like it, do me one small favor, please. Tell a friend. That is the biggest compliment you can pay. And thanks as ever for spending this 30 minutes with myself and Steve. And until next time, don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Adios, guys. Bye-bye.